Thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Be strong, take heart, hope in God. One big way we do that is by listening to what he said. So we're going to read uh, from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Uh, It's in the Bibles, page 1049, but also on your sheets uh, and on the screen as well. I think this is probably one of the most famous uh, parable stories that uh, Jesus ever told. Jesus continues, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to work, sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out. And go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the fields. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, 
You are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Father, we have sung that though many others may forsake us in life, you never will. And that you welcome us home to you. And so we pray as we've sung, teach us, O Lord, how we should live. Lead us in your way. For Jesus' sake. Amen. There are not many things in life that are more heart-wrenching than the breakdown of precious relationships. Sometimes it happens with an almighty row in a marriage or in a dispute in a friendship that sees tempers flaring. And whatever the details, the relationship is broken in one explosive moment as one person tells the other, get out. I don't ever want to see you again. Suddenly, uh, disastrously, a, a precious relationship is ended. Sometimes it's explosive, but sometimes relationships just sort of drift apart. There are no raised voices, no crisis moment, but perhaps a wife just says one day, I just don't love him anymore. Or maybe a friend will say, we just don't talk anymore. No big row, just a drifting apart. And now the relationship, in any meaningful sense at least, is over. I read earlier from Luke chapter 15, arguably the most famous story Jesus ever told. And it is a story about broken relationships. Ultimately, it is a story about our broken relationship with God. It's a family story. It's about a father who had two sons. And as Jesus, who really was the greatest storyteller ever, tells the story, it becomes very obvious that the father in the story is just like God. Now, look, I don't know what your view of God is. How do you think of him? Maybe in your mind he's he's a hard taskmaster or a demanding tyrant. Jesus says it isn't like that. Jesus says that God is like a father. He's a father who loves his children. And whatever his children have done, he he invites us back. Whether we've stormed off out of relationship with him saying, I don't even want to know you, God. Or whether we've just drifted away and we just don't speak anymore. Jesus was prompted to to tell this amazing story because of some criticism that he was getting. Some of the religious establishment were were muttering about the kind of of company that Jesus was keeping. So back at the start of chapter 15, verse 1, it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
So here are two groups of people around Jesus. You might call them the sinners and the saints. And what do you know? These two sons in the story represent these two groups of people. The younger son is just like these tax collectors and sinners that Jesus was hanging out with, that the low lives of society. Today they'd be the drug pushers and the rip-off merchants and the prostitutes. And the older son... Well, he's like the saints, the the respectable religious crowd. And so with these two groups of people in mind, Jesus tells this story. And when he tells the story, he expects his audience, which includes us, to find ourselves in the story. To picture ourselves in the story as one of these sons. Jesus is asking you as he tells the story, can you see yourself here? The story is like a mirror. If we listen to it, it will show us ourselves. Which son best represents me? So first, there's the story of the younger son. There, verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. You can picture the scene, can't you? The younger son wants to cut loose. Dad, he says, you know that life insurance policy. Well, I want my share now. Here's a son who who wants his inheritance. But when do you normally get your inheritance? When the father's died. So here is a son who is effectively saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. He's saying, Dad, I want your stuff. I want your benefits. I want your money. But I don't want you. And that is the way so many of us treat God. We're happy to to live in God's world, reaping the benefits and the blessings, living in God's world, enjoying the good things God has made, breathing God's air, but never giving God himself a thought. The son wants the father's stuff, but he doesn't want the father. And it's summed up so well in just two words in verse 12. He says, give me. Give me. Teenagers around the world are familiar with the phrase from their parents. You treat this place like a hotel. Did your parents ever say that to you? They did to me. Enjoying all all the comforts and the benefits of the family home but ignoring the parents. It's not right. And it's not right to treat God that way either. Do you see how the son lives? Verse 12, give me, give me. And so in one devastating conversation, the relationship is ended. He's like so many people who say, God, I just don't need you. I don't want you. I want to run my own life my own way. Get off my case. You're cramping my style. Leave me alone. And I reckon the son would have felt great that day, walking off down the driveway, backpack, bulging with cash, 
his share of the insurance policy. He's cutting loose of the father's house and the father's rules. He's in charge now and he is going to have a good time. He's off for wild living, verse 13. No more stupid rules, no more restrictions. He's free and he feels good. And I've heard so many folks say that, that that's what they want. They want to be free in life. They want to be free of God who, who takes the fun out of life. Free of God who's always telling me, you shall not this and you shall not that. They want to be free. And so off goes the younger son and he's living the life. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. Rock and roll. What every young man dreams of. And it's fun. At least for a time. It seemed so fun. And then the money, and then the money ran out. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, look, feeding pigs, it's a pretty mucky job, but, but we might think, well, at least it's a job. He could have done worse. But look, for a Jew who, remember, doesn't eat pork and won't have anything to do with pigs, this is the most disgusting, degrading job. It's hard to imagine what, what would be our equivalent today. The most degrading job you can think of. Something that would disgust you. Those are the, the depths to which this guy has sunk. And to top it all off, he's desperately hungry and desperately lonely. Because once the, the, the money went, that the younger son discovered that cruel truth that so many people in life are takers and not givers. Once the money went, the friends went too. So he was hungry and he was lonely and he was working this disgusting, degrading job. But, verse 17, it brought him to his senses. Maybe sometimes it, it takes uh, living this kind of life to, to, to discover that it, it just doesn't deliver. Maybe sometimes you, you see a great life out there, a wild life, and you think, well, if only I could do that and have that. And then when you do it, you realize it, it doesn't satisfy. Maybe sometimes it, it takes hitting rock bottom to realize that life without God, the life that we thought would bring such excitement and freedom, just doesn't. And it isn't worth living. Certainly being destitute is a pretty loud wake-up call. And so he comes to his senses. He sees the mess he's made of life. And most importantly of all, he sees the mess he's made of the relationship with his father. Here's the thing. He begins to see what he's left behind. So verse 17, he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. The life he was living was literally killing him. And he thought of home. Home. The place where he was, was loved and accepted. Home where, where even the father's employees were better off than this. 
And so he did something which is very difficult to do. He said, I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, sorry. It's verse 18. I will set out and go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The younger son uh, used to live his life by two words. Give me. Give me. But now there are two other words. I'm sorry. It's sad. So sad. Why can't we talk it over? Oh, it seems to me that sorry seems to be the hardest word. A bit of poetry from Elton John on a Sunday morning for you there. But it's so true, isn't it? Sorry is so hard to say. And yet that's how the Christian life begins. The Christian life begins by coming to God and saying, I'm sorry, I've sinned. And so I love the scene that the boy is there in the pigsty and he's rehearsing the I'm sorry speech. You can just picture him pacing up and down and practicing it. He's imagining himself turning up on the doorstep, not having been in touch with his father since he walked out on him. And he's lived this whole time without even a thought of his dad. And so as he rehearses the speech, you can imagine he's picturing arriving at home and he's not expecting an easy reception from his father. So verse 20, after a rehearsal, he got up. And went to his father. And here is the heart of the story. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now so far the story has really been all about the younger son. But now the father is is center stage. And isn't it wonderful? I don't know what your view of God is. But the father doesn't stand on the front step, arms crossed with a face like a bulldog chewing a wasp, wagging his finger saying, this better be good. And he doesn't say, I told you so, but you wouldn't listen. No, the father has been longing. He's been waiting for this moment and the father it's maybe not very dignified but the father runs towards the son and he throws his arms around him and he welcomes him and I love it the the boy doesn't even get halfway through his carefully rehearsed I'm sorry speech father I have sinned against heaven and against you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and he doesn't get any further His father interrupts him, bring the best robe, which is a sign of honour, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, which is a sign of authority, and sandals on his feet, which is a sign of being back in the family. The son is completely accepted. And, verse 23, there's a party. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, let's have a feast and celebrate. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I wonder, have you grasped this about God? He is a good father and he doesn't treat us as we deserve. He is so generous to us 
And he rejoices to have us back. Whatever we've done, however far we've wandered from him. Isn't that good news? He wants you back. He will accept you unconditionally. There is not a probation period. The moment you come back to the Father and say, I'm sorry, I've sinned. You are completely accepted. Isn't that good? Not everyone thinks it's good. I know some people for whom this story makes them very angry. Now there's someone in the story who is very angry, the older brother. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older, brother, the older son was in the fields. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. He is livid. How can the father treat this younger son this way? How can the father welcome him back like that? And here's the thing, sometimes when, when I tell people the good news of, of the Christian faith, they react in the same way as the older brother. They say, are you saying that, that whatever someone has done, whatever they've done, even if it's really terrible, that they can be forgiven, that, that God will have them back? And when you say, yes, that, that is what Jesus is saying, they say, it's not right. What about the murderer? What about, especially this week, the terrorist who repents? They hate it. And so does the older brother. Remember that the older brother represents the people in verse 2, chapter 15, the, the religious people, the respectable people. Look again at the older son's words, verse 29. Do you see what he's saying? He is essentially saying... I'm a good person. I've never done anything wrong. I've never been in trouble with the police. I've always worked hard. I've paid my taxes. I'm a good citizen. And what has God ever done for me? And there's the great surprise of the story. The older brother is an, an upstanding person. He seems very moral. He's joined the family firm. He, he's worked hard. He's always around the father and always near him. And remember that the father in this story represents God. And so this is the sort of person you, you might expect to find around in a church. He'd never miss a Sunday. On the outside, here is a person who seems very, very different from his younger brother. And it's true. He, he is different from his younger brother. But he's nothing like his father either. See, when the younger son returns, the father is glad, but the older brother is angry. The father greets him with open arms, but the older brother meets him with clenched fists. The father embraces him and says, my son. 
And the older brother, verse 38, calls him that son of yours. Can't even bring himself to call him his brother. You see, on the outside, the older brother looks good. He, he looks like a model citizen. But then his guard slips. And you see him as he is. All he can think about is himself. In just one verse, he uses the word I, me, or mine four times. Here is a man who is bound up with himself. Here's how one Bible commentator described the situation. He said, the older brother, without leaving home, contrives to be as far away from his father as ever the younger brother was. Of course, he was around the father all the time, but he didn't have any love for him. That's how it can be with people who see themselves as respectable, people who seem all right on the outside, but don't have any love for God. They don't know anything of an ongoing, real, loving relationship with the Father. And so do you see that though on the outside, these, younger, these two brothers, that they could have not looked more different, on the inside, in different ways, both of them had a broken relationship with the Father. In different ways, both of them had a broken relationship with the Father. And look, I don't know you all here today very well, but maybe some of us have run a mile from God and blatantly broken his law in wild living. Maybe others of us seem more respectable, but do you see the point? All of us, by nature, have a broken relationship with God. Both sons and all of us are miles away from a proper right relationship with God. One son had an almighty row and stormed off. The other just seemed to drift away and became slowly bitter. But both are miles away from a proper relationship with God. And just as, as the younger son was welcomed back by the father, the father went out of the house to greet him and meet him as he was coming home. Do you see, he does the same for the older brother. Verse 28, the older brother became angry, refused to go in. What did the father do? He went out and pleaded with him. And again, isn't that the graciousness, the kindness of God? As we come to an end, let me ask you, what about you and me? As Jesus tells this story, where do you see yourself? Maybe you see yourself as miles off, standing in the pigsty. Or maybe you're just outside the door. But either way, both group groups need to come back to the Father, come to their senses. I wonder, have you done that? Have you come to your senses about how, how futile and empty life is without God, whether you're standing just outside the door or miles away in the pigsty? Whether your life seems a mess or whether you seem quite respectable, in the end, we need the same thing. 
We need relationship with this good, good Father restored. And you see how willing, how eager the Father is, whichever group you're in, to, to welcome you back. He comes to you. He makes the first move. And he pleads with you, come to your senses. Maybe you've been in church every week, all of your life. Maybe you're here for the first time or you're back for the first time in a while. God says to you, come home. Come home. Don't stand outside any longer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we, we see you here as you really are, as a good father who makes the first move to draw his people to himself, to welcome children home. Father, we confess whether our lives seem a mess or seem respectable. None of us, by nature, is in right relationship with you. And yet we see the futility. We see how desperate it is to, to live life away from the God who made us and knows us and loves us. Father, bring us to our senses, I pray. Help us to be those like the younger son who will come to you and say, Father, I'm sorry. I've sinned. And thank you that you welcome us into your family and into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, why not search Burkhead Free Church on your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. For more information, go to burkheadfreechurch.org.